Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 16. I'll be reading from ESV. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we are going to look at the passage that was um, just read. Um, 
but we're going to pray first. Um, let me say particularly, I'm going to ask for you to pray for me. I feel a bit frazzled. So pray for me that, um, yeah, God will give me grace to, to, teach, um, to teach God's word. So I'm going to pray, but I'm going to particularly ask for you all to be uh, praying. Um, not ultimately for me, for that God, we would hear from God. We need to hear from God. That's, what we, that's who we need to hear from, that God would be speaking through, uh, through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your word. We thank you because it is, it is more precious than gold and it is sweeter than honey. Um, and yet, Lord, we have a, a natural dullness that we do not see your word for what it is. So, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to treasure your word this morning, uh, to delight in your word this morning, um, to taste and see that you are good. Um, Lord, would you lead us to Jesus Christ? Would you help us to see him? And, Lord, would you be with me? I pray, Lord, that I would not in any way be a hindrance to your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, and we would hear um, and that we would return to give you all the glory. You ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 16, uh, it was just read, Matthew 16 is trying to answer the question, and it's an important question, how do we know that Jesus is worth following? How do we know that Jesus is worth following? How do we know that we can trust Jesus with our life? Uh, how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior? In other words, what, what is the sign that verifies that Jesus is the Christ? How do we know? Um, it might be that some of us are here and we're asking that question because we're not trusting in Jesus Christ uh, we're interested in Jesus Christ, but you're not quite yet convinced that Jesus is worth giving all your life to. It might be that we're here and we're Christians and we've been Christians for a while, but every now and again we, we struggle with, is, is following Jesus really worth it all? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is, is he really the Savior? Is he worth giving our entire life to? How do we know? What is the sign? And the basic point that our text is going to make, and we're going to go through the text, and there's lots of different scenes, but the basic point is that we know that Jesus is the Messiah, not on our terms, but on God's terms. We recognize who Jesus is, not on our terms, but on God's terms. So firstly then, we do not trust in Jesus as the Messiah. We don't recognize him to be the Messiah on our own terms. So look with me firstly at verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and they came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when this is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So this uh, chapter opens up the same way we saw last week with Freddie, with a confrontation between the religious leaders of the time and Jesus. 
And these religious leaders, they go to Jesus and they ask for a sign for Jesus to prove that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is this great savior. They say, make a sign in the heavens, right? Maybe bring down lightning or maybe cause a comet to come down or maybe write a message in the sky. And the text tells us they do this in order to test him. So if Jesus is the Christ, he needs to prove it to them, right? Do something amazing, do something incredible to prove that you are the Messiah. So that's how they come to Jesus, but notice how Jesus responds to them. Jesus responds to them and calls them evil and adulterous. So, so they are asking Jesus, prove it, make, do some sign, do some amazing things so that we can know if you are the Christ. And Jesus responds by saying they are evil. Now on the face of it, it kind of feels like, you know, what's the big deal? That all they want is proof. They just want proof. They want proof. They want to know for sure if Jesus is the Christ. Why does Jesus respond this way? Well, two things. One is that this request is hypocritical. At this point in Matthew, we have to bear in mind all that these religious leaders would have seen, or at least had heard. They had seen Jesus heal the blind. They had seen the crippled people walk. Right? They had seen people with all kinds of diseases be healed. They had seen people who were demon-possessed exercised. They had seen countless and countless and countless miracles. Again and again, Jesus' power had been demonstrated. Right? And so these guys, they go to Jesus and say, prove it to us, as if to say Jesus had not already demonstrated again and again that he had the power of God. He had done it again and again and again and again and again. And they come to him and once more and they say, look, if we are going to believe in you, you need to prove it. And so it comes across genuine, but in reality, this demand is rooted in unbelief. They will not believe. Right? This isn't an issue of Jesus doing one more miracle. The issue is they refuse to believe. So, so the first reason why this approach to Jesus, this approach to, to finding out if Jesus is the Messiah, the, the, the first reason it's wrong is because Jesus had already demonstrated beyond doubt that he was the Messiah. But the second reason, I think it's even more fundamental, is that by seeking to test Jesus, they make themselves the standard. Right? This demand for a sign makes the Pharisees and the Sadducees the standard of truth. So those of us here, you know, a bunch of us here, we're, we're still in school. We've got half-term, fantastic. Let's say after half-term, you, you go to class, and you and your classmates decide that actually you're meant to do some test, maybe you've got a mock or whatever, and you decide, you know what? We don't want to do the test that our teacher has set for us. We don't think that's the right thing to do. Instead... We want to give our teacher a test. We want to see if they actually know what they're talking about. We want to see if they are worthy of being our teacher. Right? We, we want to see if they really know their stuff. Does, they, does he really know maths? I'm not sure. Does she really know English? Like, I'm not sure. We're going to test them. Right? So we're not going to do a test that they've set by us. No, we are going to test them and we are going to judge them. If you did that, if you went to class and you did that, that would be unbelievable pride, right? If your parents heard about it, they would not be happy, 
right? Why? Because you're not in the position to test your teacher, right? They are the standards. You are evaluated by them. They are not evaluated by you. Well, if that's true of this kind of small example of teaching, it's even more true when it comes to these religious teachers. They thought they were in the position to test God. They stood before the creator of the universe and said, prove it to me. If you are really who you say you are, you need to prove yourself according to my standards. If you are the Christ, you need to jump through these hoops. They assumed that Jesus was in a witness stand and they were the judge, asking Jesus questions and interrogating Jesus. And they've got it all confused because Jesus is the judge. They are judged by him, right? And so these guys, they, they come to Jesus, they ask for a sign, but they're wrong first because Jesus has already demonstrated time and time and again that he's the Messiah. But they're wrong because they assume that they are in a position to judge Jesus. And so Jesus refuses to go along with this. Jesus says no sign is going to be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. Now, I'm not going to say anything about that now because we're going to Stick with me, we're going to see that. But Jesus says, this kind of approach, this kind of coming to me in this kind of way, demanding that Jesus proves himself to us, that kind of approach is wrong. And that's the main point of this section. Jesus then warns his disciples and he says, be careful of approaching me in that way. So verse 5, the disciples reached the other side. They had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is just a fancy word for yeast. Watch and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples, they're hungry. They think Jesus is talking about bread. He's not talking about bread. And you see by verse 12, it's clear to them. They understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what Jesus means is this, beware of approaching Jesus Christ in this kind of way. Beware of coming to Jesus Christ thinking that somehow he needs to prove something to you. Uh, lots of us, we would have had conversations. Maybe if you're a believer here today, you've had a conversation with someone who doesn't believe. And, and they, they said, listen, I would believe in God if only he would, you know, he could write a message in the sky. If only he would do this or do that. If only he would do, you know, he would do this. Then I would believe in him. Or in order for me to believe in Jesus, I would need to see this, this, and this, and this, and this. We come up with our list and our standards by which we test Jesus. We put ourselves in the position where we judge Jesus. Right. Or maybe, again, we're believers. Uh, and maybe in times of doubt, we say, look, if Jesus is really real, he needs to prove it to me. He needs to do X, Y, and Z. He needs to answer my prayer in this kind of way. We think that we are in a position to test Jesus. And so Jesus warns us here, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of that kind of approach to God. We are not the standard of truth. God does not need to prove himself to us. We do not evaluate Jesus. Jesus evaluates us. And if we are waiting for God to prove himself according to our standards, we will be waiting for all eternity. Right? 
And hear me, just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, there is no sign or miracle that could happen that would somehow deal with the issue of unbelief. There isn't. If you want proof of this, the proof of this is in the history of Israel. Right? Israel as a people were in Egypt. God rained down miraculous plagues on Egypt. God rescued them out of Egypt. God split the Red Sea and open, uh, open, right? They walked through on dry ground. They saw that. They saw God with them as a pillar of fire. They saw God rain down bread from heaven. And yet the Bible says the majority of Israel did not believe in God. Right? So you might be thinking, sometimes maybe, you know, look, we're going through the Gospels, and you're thinking, if I was there, if I saw Jesus do these things, then I would believe. There is no miracle, there's no sign that deals with the issue of unbelief. That's not how we come to know that Jesus is the Messiah. We don't come to it by demanding that God reveal himself to us on our terms. That God prove himself to us on our terms. Instead, we humbly depend on God to reveal Jesus to us. And that's what we see in this next scene. God reveals that Jesus is the Messiah who will build his church. Look at me from verse 13. So when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In this beautiful scene, Peter, who here is almost a representative of the disciples, he recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. He recognizes that Jesus is the promised Savior of Israel. This is an amazing moment in the book of Matthew. This is the first time someone explicitly calls Jesus the Messiah, calls him the Christ. And it happens not after Jesus performs some miracle. Why well, It happens not after Jesus raises the dead. No, Jesus makes clear the reason why Peter says this is because the Father has revealed it to him. Right? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God reveals, the Father reveals the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not through them demanding proof. It's not by getting Jesus to perform some trick. It is God's work to reveal Jesus to us. And in his grace... God reveals Jesus to be the Messiah to Peter. And it is as this Messiah that Jesus will build his church. So as soon as Jesus is revealed to be the Messiah, as soon as we see this, he immediately talks about the church because, and we're going to see this again and again in this passage, there is this link between the Messiah and his people, between the Christ and his church. And so Jesus, who is the Messiah, he establishes his church and he gives his church a promise of permanence and a precious promise and a precious privilege. So a promise of permanence and a precious privilege. So verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Uh, Jesus has a bit of a wordplay here, right? The word Peter means rock. So Jesus says, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter has just proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus here says, Jesus speaking to Peter, he says that Peter, and not just Peter, all the apostles are going to form the foundation of this church. God is going to use Peter to form the foundation of the church. And and when you read through the book of Acts, that's what you see, right? On, On the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, it's Peter who preaches the gospel, right? And Jews come to believe in it. And later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, it's Peter who first preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. In one sense, Peter forms the foundation of this church. And no, this has nothing to do with the Pope or the papacy or anything like that, right? This is actually about God's promise, Jesus' promise, to build his church. And the promise he gives is that the church will persevere. As long as this earth continues, there will be a church. The church will persevere. There will never be a day when the church is not. Despite all the persecution that the church may face, despite all the false teaching that exists, the church of Jesus Christ will persist into the new age. When you look through church history, there are times where it looks as if The church is going to be just wiped off the planet. It's going to be entirely extinguished. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, living in light of the promise that Jesus Christ made that he would build his church. Right? The church will persevere. And look, there's no group on this planet that has this promise. Empires rise, empires fall. Institutions rise, they fall. Families rise, they fall. Things come into existence and they go out of existence. The one group, the one group that will last into the new age is God's church. Jesus promises that he will build his church. And individual churches may come and go, but God's church, that God has a people who are trusting in him, that Jesus has people that are trusting in him, that will last into eternity. That's the promise of permanence. And with that promise of permanence, Jesus gives a precious privilege. That is, that this church, as long as the church exists, the church will be the place where we see the kingdom of God. So verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, Binding and loosing. Some some of us, like me, we we came from traditions where we were binding and loosing all the time. You know, we were were binding things and and loosing things. What does it actually mean? What's this actually talking about? Well, we get some help because two chapters later, and we'll talk about it when we get there, in Matthew 18, you see this exact language. But there it's in the context of church discipline, and it helps us to understand this. What what Jesus is saying is that the church will be the place where we see the kingdom of God. The church will be the place that opens the door to people being part of the kingdom of God. In other words, those who hear the gospel and truly believe the gospel and live a life of faith and repentance, they won't just join the church, they'll actually join the kingdom of God. Right? The church will have the keys to the kingdom of God. Right? 
And in Matthew 18, later on, as Jesus talks about it, it means that when people are living lives that show that they are not trusting in Jesus Christ, that not only are they removed from the church, but that removal is a sign that actually they're not part of the kingdom of God. Right? So binding and loosing is actually language of being part of God's kingdom. Right? And it's this glorious privilege that this church, the church of Jesus Christ, is here on earth the picture of the kingdom of God. When you see the church truly, what you are looking at is the kingdom of God. And that's a precious privilege that Jesus gives. So, so Jesus is the Messiah. We, we know that not based on our own terms. We know that based on God's terms. And yet, we still have the question from the very beginning, how do we know that? What is the sign? The first part of the sign Jesus gives us now, the first part of the sign that Jesus is the Messiah is his suffering and his death. So look with me from verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So as soon as Jesus is declared to be the Christ, Jesus begins to talk about his suffering. He begins to talk about the cross. And look, this is not the sign that the Pharisees are looking for. This isn't the sign that the disciples even are looking for. But the sign that Jesus gives that he is the Messiah is actually his suffering. Right? Look, this is the mystery of the gospel. That actually the true demonstration that Jesus is the Messiah is not even so much the great miracles that he performs and the great wonders that he performs. It's actually his death on a cross. It's his execution that shows him to be the Messiah. And it's not God as we would have him. It's not Jesus on our own terms. As Paul would say later in Corinthians, right? Greeks, they, they're looking for wisdom. The Jews are seeking power. But we preach Christ crucified. Right? So, so people are looking for this wisdom, this deep philosophy. People are looking for some great miracle in the sky. But Jesus demonstrates himself to be the Messiah. How? On the cross. By his suffering, by his death. And Peter, he doesn't get it. Peter doesn't understand that. Right? Jesus had just warned them, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees. But Peter evidently wasn't, you know, he didn't heed the warning enough. This yeast had spread to him. Peter begins to think that he is the standard. That he can tell Jesus what it looks like to be the Christ. Peter, the Bible says, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. No, 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 you've got it all wrong, right? Let me tell you what it looks like to be the Christ. Right? Jesus on our own terms. Jesus as we would imagine him to be. Jesus proving himself in a way that we would imagine. But Jesus makes clear, he, Jesus is the Messiah, not because he fits our expectations of him, Jesus is the Messiah because he is the God who is going to die, suffer and die on a cross. We know that Jesus is the Messiah when we see him beaten and bruised and spat on. 
And Peter, when Peter does this, when Peter says to Jesus, look, far be it from you, like this isn't going to happen, Jesus calls him Satan. And I think Jesus calls him Satan because Jesus recognizes in Peter's words, words he's heard before. We saw this earlier in the, in the book of Matthew. When, when Satan is tempting Jesus, the last temptation that Satan gives, Satan offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world. Right? In other words, Satan offers Jesus to be the savior, the king of this world, without a cross. Right? Just bow down. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. Take the crown without the cross. And Jesus resisted Satan then, and he resisted Satan now. The sign that Jesus will be the Christ is his gruesome death on a cross. And because that is the sign of the Christ, that is also the sign of the church. That, that's the link here. Because suffering is what marks out Jesus Christ, it is also what marks out his church. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the thing that marks us out as the church is our suffering. And look, this needs to be said again and again and again. The sign that we belong to Jesus Christ is not health and wealth. It's not. It's not worldly success. It's not breakthrough. The sign that we belong to Jesus Christ is we carry a cross. The sign is suffering, suffering for the sake of Christ. And so let me say this. Any kind of prosperity gospel, it's not only wrong, it's satanic. Right? It's satanic. It's demonic. I say that because that's how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus says that teaching is from the devil. Any teaching that tells you that to follow Christ is a life of bliss and money and health is a lie from the pit of hell. When you put on God's channel and you hear some guy telling you that if you live the Christian life and you have enough faith, that you will be wealthy and rich and you'll never be sick, the curriculum they're teaching you is the curriculum of Satan. It's the doctrine of devils. And I'm not just talking about health and wealth, right? Uh, someone was reminding me of this just this Wednesday, right? Every kind of prosperity gospel, anything that teaches us that if you follow Jesus Christ, then you'll get, you know, you'll marry your perfect person. If you trust Jesus Christ, you'll have kids and you'll have these wonderfully well-behaved kids. Any kind of teaching that tells us that if you follow Jesus Christ, that you'll be super influential in this world. Anything that tells us that the sign of following Jesus Christ, the thing that marks us out as God's people, is that we are somehow successful in any sense. That teaching is a lie from the pit of hell. It's the work of Satan. The thing that marks out Christians on this side of eternity, is that we carry a cross. And the reason why Satan wants us to think that is so that when suffering comes, we, give, we think, actually, I didn't sign up for this. When we experience difficulty, we think that somehow God has shortchanged us. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ. If anyone would follow me, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross. The sign that Jesus Christ is the Messiah is the cross. The sign that we are his people is the cross. Following Jesus is a call to suffer. 
Suffering and death, in one sense, then is the sign. And yet, it's not by itself the sign. So look with me at the, the final little bit of this passage, verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So at the beginning, Jesus said, there is no sign, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. We saw this back in chapter 12. What's the sign of Jonah? If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, if you know anything about Jonah, you know that Jonah went into the belly of a fish. And Jonah goes into this belly of the fish, and it's basically like Jonah died. Anyone who saw that, you just thought Jonah was done for. It's a picture really, of Jonah's death in one sense, though he doesn't literally die. And yet, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you know that's not how that story ends, right? Three days later, what happens? The fish kind of spits Jonah back up. Jonah kind of goes into death, and then he comes back out of death. And Jesus tells us here that that's only a sign, a shadow, pointing forward to what would happen to Jesus himself. The sign that Jesus is the Messiah is not just that he would die, is that on the third day he would rise again. The sign that Jesus is the Messiah is both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, church, we don't worship a dead Messiah. We don't, we don't talk about Jesus as, oh, wasn't he wonderful? We worship a resurrected and ascended Lord. We, we worship a, a Jesus Christ who is right now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. And we worship him because on the third day he rose again. How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Yes, his death, but also his resurrection. And when we hear the message of his death and resurrection, God in his grace, he grants us faith to believe it. That's how we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, it's his death, but also it's his resurrection. And that means for us, church, the thing that marks us Yes, it's the cross. Yes, it's suffering. But it's also resurrection. The thing that marks us out as God's people is that we will experience the resurrection. And look, that's what we're celebrating here today. We're celebrating baptism. And baptism, you know, when people are baptized, we, you know, we bury them, we dunk them, we make sure that they're, they're fully in, they're, they're down. It's a, it represents death. But we don't leave them there, Right? If we did, the authorities would be, you know, all over the... We don't, right? We bring them back out. Why? Because it's a picture. Baptism is a picture, not just of death, but of new life. Gabriel in a second is going to go down into the water. But by God's grace, he's going to come back out. And he's going to do that because Jesus went to the grave. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he got back out. And because that's the sign of the Christ, that's also the sign that we ourselves belong to him. It's not just death. It's resurrection. What this is saying is that if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of new life. Because he arose, because up from the grave he arose, we one day will rise again. 
and we will reign with him for all eternity, right? We will lose our life now. We will suffer right now. But by the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, one day we will rise again with resurrected bodies. That's what Jesus is promising here. And so, Christian, stop trying to hold on to your life now. Stop trying to keep your life now. Jesus is saying, stop trying to gain the world now. That's not what marks you out as a Christian. It's not by your success in this world. Stop, stop striving to, to, to have this life now. Jesus says, if you do that, you will lose your life. Christian, be ready to lose this life. Christian, embrace suffering in this life. Embrace being the odd one out in your friendship group because of what you believe about Jesus Christ. Kids, embrace the awkwardness of trying to evangelize to your kids, trying to tell your, your, your other you know, students about Jesus Christ and all the, you know, the insults you get or isolation from that. Embrace that now. Christian, embrace losing your job now because of your convictions on the Bible. Embrace that now. Lose your life now because as you lose your life now, you will gain eternal life, Right? That's the promise. That's the sign of the church. Embrace it in the confidence that just as Jonah went into the belly of the fish and came out, and just as Jesus went into the grave and came out, we too, though we will die, though we will suffer, though we will die here in this world, the promise is that we will rise again and be with our Lord. Suffer now in the hope of the resurrection. And for those of us here who are not trusting in Jesus Christ, this text is designed to point you to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very simply, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, God sent his son to this world, and he lived, and he died on a cross. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And if you would trust in that, you will know eternal life. The sign that Jesus is the Christ is the death and the resurrection. And it might be that you think, I'm not really into that. I want to, again, the question Jesus leaves us with, what does it profit to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? What gain do you have if you gain everything this world has to offer and you lose your soul? Look, if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, that's what you're doing. You're seeking to gain the world. Maybe you're seeking finance and money. Maybe you're seeking influence. Maybe you're seeking a family. Maybe you're trying to advance in your career. Whatever it is, you're seeking to gain the whole world. Jesus says, what's the point if you will lose your soul for all eternity? You're heading towards the grave. And all the things you're working for will pass away. Don't live for this life. Live for the world to come. And you can do that by trusting in Jesus Christ. You can do that by trusting in his death. You can do that by trusting in his resurrection. And look, that, again, that's what we're celebrating now. That's what you're going to see. And it's not too late for you to do that now. It's not too late for you to get baptized even today. Look to Jesus Christ. Trust in his death. And put your faith in his resurrection. And know that you have the promise of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ. We thank you um, that he is, he is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And Lord, I pray that if there are people here who are not yet trusting 
in your son Jesus Christ. Lord, that they wouldn't demand that you somehow fit their agenda or fit their ideas of what you look like. Lord, my prayer is that you would grant them faith to believe in your son Jesus Christ and that they would not waste their life living for what is only temporary. Lord, give them grace to trust in him that they may live and reign with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.